I have been the object of disbelief my whole life. It greeted me as a child, this disbelief. And it helped itself to me, to my heart, marking me so deeply that, well, you don't know the level of repulsion people feel for you until you spend a good portion of your life not being looked in the eye. That was my life up until the moment Jesus found me. And what an unbelievable state he found me in. So we packed, we cleaned, and we gathered for three years, though it felt like only days. And then the time came. Well, until his days were accomplished and he did what he came to do. If you've walked a life anything like me, you know what I mean when I say that sometimes people try to put onto you what Jesus removed. He was only gone from us but a couple of days the first time it happened. That mighty, miraculous morning, I went to the tomb and he was very not dead. He called me by my name and he gave me very specific instructions. So I ran to tell the disciples what I had seen, that he was alive. And they didn't believe me. I mean, had they forgotten that we stood shoulder to shoulder all this time? I may not be one of the 12 or 11 now, but I followed him just the same. But you know what? Their perception of me is not the image Jesus saw. I was no longer the cracked and crooked house that demons dwelt in. Because the moment I realized Jesus believed in me, I believed in him. And eventually the disciples, they'd come around. Jesus kept appearing to a few, then to hundreds. But even after all that, there would still be some who didn't believe. He warned us about that. But more importantly, there would be other people, many other people who would never see it for themselves, but still believe. So that's why I why we keep going until we reach every person who once and for all is done with disbelief. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, Heavenly Father, such an intense story. 
as we approach this Mother's Day weekend and message. So many things happening in our culture and context with regard to gender and roles and family life. Lord, so much happening in the culture around the world with regard to the status of women. And Lord, here you give us indications from your word on how it can be in the kingdom of God and how life and relationships can be different among men and women. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds this day as we consider your word and as we consider your approach to the women that surrounded you during your earthly life and ministry. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. According to longtime member Ruth Abraham Baker, there was a time when men and women sat on different sides of our church sanctuary. As you know, in the big church, there's two sides. There's a left side and a right side. And apparently, the women sat on the pulpit side and the men sat on the baptism font side. And this happened for decades, apparently. And as uh, Ruth and some of her friends were talking about this, they said, you know, I'd really like to sit with my husband during worship. And so Ruth got up the gumption one Sunday to take off her hat and to inconspicuously sit on the men's side of the congregation. And you know what happened that Sunday morning? Absolutely nothing. So <laughs> Ruth's friend uh, said, you know what, I think I'm going to do the same thing. And so the, the following Sunday, Ruth's friend also did this. And you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. And then Sunday after Sunday, woman after woman, with hats on, sat on the other side of the sanctuary. And before you know it, St. Lawrence Lutheran Church was fully integrated with men and women sitting next to each other in worship. And the church did not burn down. And the gospel of Jesus was proclaimed and people's lives were strengthened with the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the rest, as they say, is history. By the way, Ruth adds this. Uh, Ruth says, uh, Pastor, that's not the only revolution I started at St. Lawrence. There are many others, but we don't have time for that today. I can't wait to hear the rest of the story, Ruth. You know, it's interesting, this role of women and the status of women, not only today as we consider equality, but as we look back in biblical times. In first century Judea at the time of Jesus, under Jewish law and custom, the status of women was quite different than it is today in our current culture and context. Looking at the status of women under Jewish law at that time, at the time of Jesus, women were considered inferior to men and were also under the authority of men. They were mostly confined to their fathers at home if they were not married. If they were married, they were confined to their husband's home. Unmarried women were not allowed to leave their homes without the permission of their father. Married women were not allowed to leave their homes without the permission of their husband. Ladies, how are we doing? How's the blood pressure? Let's breathe through this, okay? Uh, women could not testify in courts of law for trials. They could not appear in public venues without an escort. They were not allowed to talk to strangers. Um, and women in public, they had to be not once but twice veiled, doubly veiled. Enter Jesus into this culture and context and consider those scenes of Jesus where he's encountering women from different backgrounds, 
from different parts of his own life and ministry. And watch how Jesus treats women as opposed to how the current context of culture would have Jesus engage women at that time. First, think about the scene of Jesus and his mother at the wedding in Cana. They run out of wine. Oh my goodness. So, so Jesus' mother approaches Jesus and says, hey, they've run out of wine. In other words, son, can you do something about it? Jesus kind of challenges his mother and says, my time has yet not come. Not yet, mom. And yet his mother knew something was up. And so, so Jesus' mother says to the attendants there, be close to Jesus. Look at what he's doing and uh, do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus, out of love for his mother, perhaps, certainly out of um, love for these, for these uh, people who are getting married and for their guests, looks at those six jars of water, changes the water into wine, but not just any wine, great wine, just not a little sample of wine, but six full jars of wine. And these are like hip high kind of jars that we're talking about here. Jesus' first miracle was at this wedding celebration at Cana in Galilee at the request of his mother. Think about Jesus and the woman of the well. This is also from the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. Jesus and the woman at the well. This is, um, this is a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans don't always get along. But as Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Jerusalem and Judea up north to Nazareth and Galilee, they pass through Samaria. While they pass through, they stop. And at midday, Jesus encounters this woman at a well. She's drawing water. Jesus asks her for a drink. Culturally speaking, men you're not married to don't really engage you in conversation at the public well midday. That was not a common cultural practice. And so this is very interesting and very unusual, this encounter. But Jesus asked for, for a drink, and as they have a conversation, they talk about water. They talk about living water. They talk about past sins. They talk about um, a new way of living and relating and loving one another in the coming kingdom of God. They talk about marriage and husbands and ex-husbands and more ex-husbands and oh my goodness. And in this conversation, Jesus reveals himself to this woman, this, this woman at the well and basically says to her, I am the Messiah. I'm the promised savior who is to come. And then this woman goes and tells her friends and they come and they experience Jesus for themselves as well. Jesus is doing and saying things that really no one else was doing at the time with regard to his approach to women. Consider Jesus and the woman who was caught in adultery. This is from John chapter eight. And in this scene, the Jewish religious leaders bring before Jesus this woman who was caught in, the adult, in adultery. And they bring him uh, outside the temple courts there. Interesting, there's not the man there with them. They bring the woman who is caught in adultery. What about the man who is caught in adultery? There is a different standard, a double standard going on here. And as Jesus hears the testimony against this woman, and as Jesus sees the intent of the hearts of those who would accuse her, Jesus starts drawing in the sand. And we're not sure what markings or pictures he's drawing or what words perhaps he's, he's indicated in the sand there. We really don't know. That's a great question to ask Jesus in heaven. Lord, when you were drawing in the sand there, what did you write? What did you communicate? Was it a picture? Was it a word? Was it the sins of those accusers? 
What was it that was so profound? Because after Jesus started marking in the sand, one by one, the detractors left. Yet he who was, was without sin throw that first stone. And one by one, they fall away. They drop those rocks, they walk away. There's no one left to accuse this woman. And Jesus makes mention of that. Woman, where are your accusers? There are none. Well, then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus releasing this woman from the guilt and shame and from the accusations brought upon her at that particular time. And then Jesus getting closer to his crucifixion on the cross and his resurrection on Easter Sunday, Jesus is anointed by a woman at Bethany. Jesus is anointed by a woman at Bethany, preparing for that week. And as this woman is, is performing this beautiful act of worship for the Lord, the disciples object. That expensive perfume, that ointment that you're placing on Jesus' feet, that could have been sold. And the money given to the poor, how pious and how noble of the disciples. Even though we know that Judas was sometimes helping himself to the coffers of the collection of the disciples for the ministry there. But Jesus says, no, what she is doing ought to be done. She's not only worshiping me, adoring me, praising me in this moment, she's also preparing me preparing me for burial because something has to happen this week, something significant, something that's going to save sinners from their sins, something that's going to save you from eternity. This must be done. So Jesus receives this act of worship from this woman and chastises his disciples in the process. And then Jesus and his mother at the cross. Jesus is hanging there Within perhaps minutes of his passing, we don't know. Certainly his time is coming. But he's hanging there, beaten and bloodied. Deserted by most, even though a faithful few remain. Some of the women who are following Jesus are at the foot of the cross. Also John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is also at the foot of the cross. And they are there witnessing this happen, witnessing this grave injustice, but powerless to do anything about it. And in all this moment, as the pain and the horror of suffocation is coming upon Jesus' physical body as Jesus is taking the sins of the world upon himself and the sacrifice that must be accomplished for the salvation of humanity. Jesus regards his earthly mother. He takes care of his mom. And he says to his mom, behold your son and to the disciple whom he loved, that is John, behold your mother. What a beautiful act of adoration and acknowledgement from Jesus to his earthly mother, Mary. Do you sense the shift in the treatment of women between what, the, what Jesus' current cultural context would allow or provide for and what Jesus is doing through his words and his actions as the true son of God and the savior of the world? He's acting different. He's using different words. He's treating women in his life differently regardless of their relationship with him. And he's calling the disciples and his followers to a new way of being, to a new way of living, to a new way of loving in the coming kingdom of God that enters into this world through his life, death, and resurrection. Notice the shift. Jesus engages in intentional conversation with strange women. That wasn't done at that day and time. He encourages and challenges women. 
He ministers alongside of women, not a common practice of rabbis in that day. Jesus included women among his close followers. Think of Mary and Martha, and yes, also Mary Magdalene. Jesus received the hospitality and worship of women. Jesus blessed women with his presence and power and his miraculous uh, uh, acts. Jesus forgave women and called them to repentance, just as he would men. Jesus noticed women doing good works. And of course, Jesus loved his mama, just as he should. Friends, Jesus did not treat women the same as men. He treated each person as he saw fit. But he did treat women and men as co-equal heirs of his promises and ensure that they have a place in the coming kingdom of God. Jesus was a revolutionary when it came to his relationship with the women in his life and the women that he encountered in his earthly public ministry. And Jesus also elevated the status of women in the practice of his day, unencumbered by the pressure of the surrounding culture or the entrenched opinions of others. Friends, what an inspirational message for us on this day when we honor some of the women in our lives. As we look to them, not only as leaders in the home, but also leaders in this world, and as we look to their love and their sacrifice and their faithfulness to the Lord and to our families, we can learn a few lessons from Jesus on how to honor the women that God has placed in our lives. One final story from the scriptures, also from the Gospel of John. This is John 20, one of the scriptures that was read earlier. Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene following his resurrection. It was the day that Jesus came back to life. The scriptures record no other instance of Jesus appearing to anyone. And the first person that Jesus chooses to show himself to after he has come back to life is a woman, one of his followers, Mary Magdalene. And in this encounter, we see not only Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, but just before that, there's two angels who are already in the tomb to announce what had happened. As they asked, as they asked Mary, woman, why are you crying? Well, it seems that they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. What am I to do? Jesus appears on the scene, but Mary thinks it's a gardener. Woman, why are you crying? He asks. If you've done something with Jesus, let me know. I need to go see him. I need to go finish the preparations for his burial to make sure that everything is in order and everything is as it should be for my Lord. And then Jesus calls her by name, Mary. And she recognizes the voice of her Savior, Rabboni, which means, of course, teacher, rabbi. And as they're about to embrace and Mary wants to cling to Jesus, Jesus just pauses her for a moment. We can't do this just yet because I've not yet returned to the Father. But go, tell my brothers, tell the other disciples, tell my other friends and followers that I'm returning to my Lord and your Lord, to my God and your God. Friends, you can check this out in the Gospel of John. This is the first time that Jesus references his Lord, his heavenly father, as your heavenly father. His Lord as their Lord, his God as her God. Jesus is communicating in a little bit different way here with Mary to indicate that now through his life, death, and resurrection, the relationship with the heavenly father is going to be different. We have access 
to the heavenly father through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. And he communicates that first to Mary, first to a woman. He could have done it in any way. He could have done it to hundreds and thousands all at once. He could have just done it to the disciples, the 12 perhaps. He could have just done it with Peter, James, and John, that inner circle of the disciples. But he chose to do it with one of his women followers. He chose to reveal himself first, post-resurrection, to Mary. And friends, I think that's significant, and you better believe it's intentional upon the part of the Lord. This is an amazing Savior that we have who honors and regards the personhood of women, the role of women, and also who encourages women to come alongside him and join him in his ministry of seeking and saving the lost. Friends, Jesus loved the women in his life. He cared for the women in his life. He included the women in his life. He forgave the women in his life. He lifted them up out of their current cultural status and standing. And he also invited them to join him in this ministry of seeking and saving the lost. Jesus loved women. He honored them. And he encourages us this Mother's Day, 2022, to go and do likewise. Friends, Happy Mother's Day. God's blessings to you. And may we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, receiving his love and forgiveness in Christ, and also sharing that love and forgiveness with others, especially with our mothers. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.